welcome everyone to minute 50 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob. I'm Tom. And joining us to close out the week on this lovely Friday is Alan Sanders from the Wilder Ride and Marriage Fit Podcast. Welcome back, Alan. Thanks. But, you know, I've got only three tick marks on the wall, so I think I'm supposed to be here for a little bit longer. No, you just don't know how to count like uh, McQueen. So oh, you're good. Hold you're on. Good. You're good. Oh, no, you, you should you're have four. four. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, you should have four. <laughs> so this minute starts off with uh, Roger uh, telling Hilton uh, Ives good luck and ends with uh, Ives getting thrown into his cell back in the cooler. I mean, th- this is basically just the, 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 the tail end of, of everything that we've been discussing this week about uh, this new blitz that, that, that Hilton Ives are uh, trying to, to check out, which, as we, we discussed yesterday, you know, it, it uh, and Matt agrees with us uh, today, it's something that's completely, it's, it's completely, it's so stupid, it's brilliant. <laughs> which is an interesting way to, to phrase something like that. I don't, I don't know how often people would use that type of phrase like someone that <laughs> your idea is, is, is such a great idea, but it's so stupid. As we know, this, this actually really happened. That, that I guess that's part of the irony of the whole thing because most people watching will believe that it's that it's not something that 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 could work or could happen. But as we know from reading the book or from quoting the book, or that something like this can actually happen. This is the point where uh, Hiltz also explains how they're going to actually breathe by having a steel rod that they stick up. I, I'm still a little confused as to how they can can manage that. You know, it's it's not like they have a steel rod with the uh, you know you, you have you know when when you're when you're drinking from you know they have the straw most straws nowadays have the the way that you can bend them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a steel rod is not something you can bend. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you know, if you want to try and breathe through a steel rod, you're gonna have to put your you're gonna have to like somehow put your head up, looking up in order to be able to to breathe. And when you when you stick the the rod up through, I think they mentioned three feet of of dirt, it's gonna get filled with dirt. So I'm not really sure how the mechanics of this work. Obviously, as as we mentioned, it did happen, so it, there is a way that it works. I'm just not a good enough engineer or to to figure out exactly how that works. And he Do you, doesn't you say that it's on, he doesn't say it's on a bend. He says it's on a hinge. Yeah, it's on a hinge. Yeah, and Which, it's like again, I don't know. a little strange. <laughs> Where did they get the hinge from? Well, but <laughs> yeah, well, he, just got, he just got out an hour ago. But you said there was the deleted, or in something that they show him stealing a metal poker type yes. thing. So yes, and I, but a poker usually when 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 you're stoking the you know the the flames in a in a fireplace, it's usually not hollow. I mean, it, obviously we're talking here about something that should be hollow. I mean, right. it's a good point. Um, there's no question about that. Now I'm I'm a little confused as to how that how how that actually works. <laughs> I, as as we've said, you know, when when you're movie, you don't pay attention to these things uh, unless you're looking at it in so much detail like us. So right. I, I think I think most people just take it take it at face value and, and move along. I have a question we didn't ask yet, and I'm just curious. The term blitz I needed explained because I just assumed it meant uh, a, a short phrase for blitzkrieg, which meant lightning war, which means a rapid attempt to escape, but is there a different meaning for blitz? Like, they just all um, seem to know. Wasn't the Battle of Britain as, the, as, as a blitz also? I thought I always thought a blitz was like a could be a bombing. That that was I mean besides the Blitzkrieg. I, I just always thought didn't... blitz was short for you know because the Blitzkrieg was the term for lightning war, which is attack so right. fast your enemy can't react. 
Right. And I thought, you know, American football, we blitz, and that's when you go after the quarterback as fast as possible when they're not expecting it, and so therefore you can maybe get to him so he doesn't have time for the play to develop. So I was wondering if blitz just meant when two people just randomly decide to escape with really no plan, just rapidly try to do the first thing that's easy to do. They they make it, make use of the term as if that's an understood term. Like, I understand you guys are going to blitz tonight. Right. Okay, well, going back to Wiktionary. <laughs> so, first of all, it does come from the original uh, term of blitz, Blitzkrieg from, from the German. But it means either a sudden attack, especially an air raid, usually with reference to the blitz. So I guess so. My my question of the the Battle of Britain makes sense there. Another one is uh, a, a sudden or coordinated effort, or a sudden and invasive military attack. Okay, again, that's the Blitzkrieg. Another is a sudden effort as a pub- publicity blitz. Right. Then you have the the to rush the quarterback in a, is in a blitz. That's that's the that's the verb. The you know to to blitz someone that way. There, there, a sudden charge by a defensive backfield player through the gap in the line in an effort to tackle the opposing quarterback. <laughs> right. So it must um, be that that's just it's just another term, maybe World War Two wise, that just shortened Blitzkrieg, and it just meant any rapid attempt to escape. Escape. Right. Right. Okay. It's it's also a chess. It's a chess term. The blitz chess means it's a form of chess with a short time limit for moves, a swift and overwhelming attack. An intense campaign. That's it. So basically, just to, to get out as fast as you can, I guess that's the idea here. Yeah. I I like the way that the, uh, that that I mean, you mentioned this yesterday about the 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 way that Hiltz, you know, is is both formal and informal and RG, you know, with the way that that he says things. And he goes, "Solo," <laughs> meaning I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, you, you'd think you'd think that he would try and say it in a cooler way. You know, like the James Dean type of way. I'm out of here. You know, I'll see you. I'll see you back in London or something like that. You know, he just says so long, sir. And this is uh, uh, it, and, and, it. Sort of shows that he doesn't care for the rank. And again, the way he delivers it as the actor, his mouth is almost hanging open, like he's a little bit unintelligent. It's just he's just like the oh, <laughs> yeah. It's just weird. It really is. It's, it's humorous, but yes. it's weird. Yeah. Basically, this, this scene also helped let us, it gives us the exposition that they've come to the realization that, that if they don't try other attacks, other, other attempts to, to get out, the Germans are going to know that they're, they're, they're digging a tunnel. So it actually makes sense. You'd, you'd think that, that they would have thought of this before, also. I, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. I thought that exact same thing. If they're being so play along to get along, when we establish at the beginning of the movie, Everybody in here is known for their attempts to escape. If you don't do something every now and then to show you're still trying to escape, don't you think that's even a bigger tell that you're up to something? Exactly. Now, the the, the book goes into a little more detail with this. There were other uh, attempts, and there was actually a success while they were while they were digging the tunnel. Um, <laughs> no, that that wasn't considered a success. Well, because they got um, recaptured, I, w- I still, for a minute, they thought it was successful. <laughs> that's true. Have either of you heard of the movie The Wooden Horse? Okay, I'll take I'll take that silence as as a no. This is a movie I saw years and years ago, and I actually just rewatched it a few months ago. And it's it's also a, a POW movie. It actually in fifty. And what it is is it's it's about a group of of POWs that they have a pummel horse. 
they, they build a pummel horse so that they can do exercise in the yard. What they did was is that they, they have the pummel horse hollowed out and people are digging a tunnel underneath it. And this is based on a true story that it happened in this camp while they, you know, put all of, you know, the rotten eggs in one basket. And I'm very surprised that, that it's not even mentioned at any point in the movie because three guys successfully got out and made it back mm-hmm. to England in that, uh, it's, as, so it's, it's a movie that came out in 1950 and I, I actually only found out by, by rereading the book right now it, that I made the connection that, that it actually happened, that, that happened in the same camp. It's, it's surprising that, that at this point, the reason that, that I thought of it now is because obviously we're talking about the fact that, okay, they're saying, well, if, if we don't have any other escape attempts, they're going to think we're definitely digging, but there actually were. So why would the screenwriters not even attempt to throw something in at some point? You know, I mean, you don't have to go through the whole story of how they got out through the, through the, the pummel horse, but, you know, even to mention it in passing or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Inter- interesting food for thought. They, they, Roger actually admits here that they're, they're clever in everything that they're doing, which, which, which says a lot of that about his, his character that, that he, you know, he's, he's very methodical in everything that he does, but he's also willing to, to, to give himself constructive criticism on things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he's, one... he's, cause, uh, one second, Tom, yep. uh, uh, because I don't think Hiltz would have his own constructive criticism of him, of him, of his actions. Mm-hmm. So it says something about Roger, you know, the fact that he's the brains and there's a reason why he was chosen to Big X. Yeah, what were you going to say, Tom? Well, I was going to say, I wonder if Hilt's not caring about who Big X is and, you know, really caring about Mac or even Reggie gives, you know, has Big X been so insulated, not even necessarily by his own intention, but just because he's Big X, that no one around him is willing to or feels the heavily to say, hey, boss, um, I think we might be doing, I think we might need to try a different approach here. You know, we get it with Henley a little bit later, too. But do the people who have been in the X organization so long just feel like he's, untouchable and so even if roger doesn't feel like he is he just never gets that pushback and has to re you know he does for has to re-examine his plans right i mean we discussed it i think a few weeks ago about the fact that that when roger's giving out assignments to people they're they're, they basically you know they they start to complain and then they go oh okay i'll do it (laughs) but roger uh, okay i'll do it uh, but but I wonder if it's if it's out of fear or, or if it's more out of respect that they know that he knows what he's doing. That here we have this brilliant mind, as you said. I think or you said this yesterday. You know, he's playing checkers against the the, the Germans. Che- uh, sorry, he's playing chess against the Germans checkers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that they they trust the fact that he's Big X and that he knows what. Oh no! And if he wants them to do this, then that's what they're going to do. No, but I'm saying that's the reason why they're not they're not questioning his his requests. I will add to this in terms of just con- conversation. I thought it felt rushed at the beginning, and then you realize there's so much of the movie they have to get to still to tell the whole story. You just kind of have to accept everyone knows. All right, now now that we're all together, he's the mastermind. Here's the next plan to try. It just felt a little 
strange that all of a sudden it's like, all right, boys, here's what we're going to do this time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, a again, nearly a three-hour movie. You couldn't wait an hour and a half into it for him to think of, I've been watching the guards. I have a sense of their schedules. I think I know. What, no, it's got it. Let's get going. And I guess maybe that's just our modern movie day watching audience, but I did notice it felt rushed, the idea like, all right, here's the game plan. Let's go forward. No, but it, it, on the one hand, it feels rushed, but on the other hand, it says so much about the character. He puts his plan together so quickly oh, yeah. by just yeah. quickly looking around at what's going on and stuff like that. So I, 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 I hear what you're saying with that, but I also see it from the perspective that, that they're showing us how brilliant a mind he is mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. That he's able to, because he owns uh, two hours and 52 minutes to get it all done, you know. <laughs> As as the this particular scene ends, the Ram, Ramsey says, "Well, I hope it works because <laughs> if not, they're both going to be in the cooler a long time." This I could almost have telegraphed. What a great little transition moment! Because, and, and I don't want to jump ahead. If you're ready to talk talk about no, that. go ahead. Don't go it ahead. just okay. was. It's both comedy, but then you all feel bad that they got caught because right on that right, I mean, the very next scene. Once again, from a connection filmmaking perspective. We immediately see two dirt-covered people who just like, yeah, that didn't work. He even marches himself into his own. Damn it! <laughs> it's yeah. it's Ives, and I don't even have my crushed. I don't even have my baseball or my mitt. <laughs> no, and, and and the and the the juxtaposition of how Hiltz goes into his cell, determined. Well, that didn't. Work. There's always the next time, and the way it takes a shove for Ives, and Ives is despondent. And literally trapped in the corner. We, I mean, he's in the corner symbolically. He's been backed into a corner. Yeah, pushed into the. He's he's forward forward facing into the right. corner. But in in terms of that, the whole sense of being the trapped animal, desperate, and we already said he's you know he's ready to climb the wire. It's just yet another visual representation that he's not in a good place. Exactly, uh, Alan. All, all week we've been discussing this movie, and I, I, I we, we, I forgot to ask you what, what's your history with with the movie? Well, do you do you remember the first time you saw it? Do you remember? Do you have any? I saw moments of it. My dad is a well, before he passed away, huge World War II movie fan. So if there was anything on regular television, because there was no cable when I was growing up, you know, you had a couple mm. of VHF and a couple of UHF channels if you were lucky. Yes. And uh, anytime any World War II movie came up, my dad would be watching. I remember coming in and out of this movie, and the only reason why I remember it is later I caught it on, like, Turner Classic Movies, and I only caught the end where Steve McQueen's on the motorcycle. I'm like, oh, Dad used to watch this. And then I finally and watched it probably in my late 20s and watched it all the way through. And I was like, oh, that's really good. And then I jokingly said at the beginning of the week about Chicken Run, when my girls were little, and I'm a big fan of of that claymation style of 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 selling the can't remember the guys behind it, but the the whole um, oh the dog uh, uh, that they had done before Wallace, Wallace, Wallace and Gromit Wallace and Gromit Wallace and Gromit. I loved all those. So when I saw Chicken Run, and then I heard like that, wait, this music is very slow. And there's the scene where the, the the chicken is bouncing the ball in the cooler. I was like, oh my god. This is an homage to The Great Escape. And so I've, that's kind of like my evolution. I've loved The Great Escape as a movie. And then the fact that I was able to have a kid version of it that I could watch with my girls when they were little until now older, hopefully they'll want to go and explore this movie on their own. 
But I thought it was just kind of a nice little come full circle to be asked to be part of this. So it's been a long time since I'd seen it, but it was one of those movies I knew is a classic. I'd seen it only really once through in its entirety intentionally. I'd seen bits and pieces over the many years watching my dad watch movies. All right, great. Do you have anything else you want to say about the movie in general or about this minute? I mean, I think we finished this minute pretty much. There's not much else to talk about. I've got uh, two things for this minute, if you don't mind, quick, Rob. Yeah, sure, go ahead. So one thing I noticed, guard leading Hiltz, he is holding the keys in his hand this time. (laughs) So in his hand, he is not letting Hiltz steal them again. And (laughs) the other thing, and this has to do with Ives going into the set, sell i feel like he oversells it a little bit i get what, yeah get what the movie's trying to go for in the you know we just found out he's wire happy he's losing it he's pushed into the cell he sprints hugs the wall but it just it seems like it's a little bit overdone and i don't know there if, is oh, some of that melodrama of that era of just sort of the whole overacting with the body yeah yeah mm. Yeah, those are the only two other notes I had for this minute. Right. All right, Alan, you have anything else about the movie in general? What, well, one thing I, I read about, which I thought was a fun little anecdote, and if you've already covered it, that's fine. But apparently the actors, because they were all Hollywood actors, a lot of the, the American actors, they were all used to uh, having fun off the set as well. And apparently they would have races to the set in their cars from time to time. <laughs> And Steve McQueen actually got pulled over because the Germans realized what was going on and set up a speed trap and actually caught Steve McQueen. And he was driving so quickly, he was actually jailed for a time for reckless driving, getting to the set. Yes, we we, we didn't discuss that. I've heard that, but uh, we, we didn't get to that point yet. I just thought it was but, kind of a funny uh, little anecdote. Yeah. So it's great. technically Steve McQueen was playing himself in this movie. Uh, didn't Stephen McQueen play himself in every movie? Yeah, very well could be. He played, so, I mean, it was, was Stephen McQueen playing a cowboy. Steve McQueen as as a Peter McQueen as you know as a cop. That, that, that's what it was. Yeah, same guy every movie. Exactly. He still uh, is is fun and lovable to watch, especially oh. in this movie. You know, he did get top billing, but I didn't realize actually, I don't know who his agent was, but James Garner actually made more money in this movie than Steve McQueen. I don't remember reading that, but that yeah. that, that is very, it's very possible. I think it's um, like, like twice as much, but I think it was like 80-some thousand dollars for Steve McQueen and ended up being close to 150000 to get James Garner. Wow. And James Garner looked like he didn't try to rewrite anything. He was easy to get along with. He just had fun on the set. But I guess with his TV popularity and some of the other things he'd already done and his longevity, he was able to command a, a bigger contract, but he didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah, very. That's why Steve very. McQueen was the pain, is he knew James Gardner got more, so he had to stick his finger somewhere. <laughs> Damn it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, Steve McQueen went and fired his agent right after I love the fact that this movie is based on at least a real story where there was a real you know, mass attempt to escape and that they really did have this over the course of the year. I think emphasizing that, and I wish I had maybe as a, as a child been told that a little bit more, I might have gone and gotten the really no excuse now as an adult to not go get it. But for folks listening maybe for the first time, if you weren't aware, 
uh, get the book. I mean, because honestly, it, anytime you can learn about some of the actual events that inspired this film or any film for that matter, um, it just makes you, uh, you know, a little bit more knowledgeable and it's kind of, inter- you know, it's, it's, it's fun to do. Yeah, well, as as a a, a, a a spoiler or a preview for 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 any for everyone listening, uh, one of the the final weeks of the show, we we actually have scheduled every day a different person who has connection to the to the real story. So we're gonna we're gonna give people that perspective also. We're gonna awesome. get to hear from people that are that are relatives of some of the 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 people in in the the camp, some other people who have personal with the story. That is gonna be a treat. That. See, look at look at you. Not only did you tease something that kept us here all week, now you keep <laughs> us to the end of the damn season. Look at you. You, you should be in radio. <laughs> Don't change that dial. We've got more coming up. Come back in six months. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, t- uh, want you uh, want you want to tell everyone once again uh, how they can uh, get in touch with you. Yeah, as we wrap up, would love for you guys to come on over and check out our podcast, The Wilder Ride. It's a Gene Wilder movies by minutes format, at least the first two seasons. We are going to get into a Gene Wilder movie this season in season three when COVID hit. Uh, we turned it into more of a talk show, and we liked it so much, and the audience liked it. We kept that, so we call it The Wilder Ride Listener's Lounge. So technically, we're going to have The Wilder Ride. It's all one podcast, but then there's The Wilder Ride Movies, and then there's The Wilder Ride Listener's Lounge. Where we Either way, you can find it at thewilderride.com. That's the website from there. Social media links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under the same name. Podcatcher of choice, just look for The Wilder Ride. Subscribe. Take a second to leave us a line. Rate, review, more to enjoy the episodes. We'd love to grow the audience. And come on, join our listeners group. Just go to facebook.com slash thewilderride. Join that, hit like, and then click the join group button. We will ask you three questions just to make sure you're not a bot. And really simple questions like, what's your favorite Gene Wilder movie? You know, hard ones. And uh, come on in. And as long as you don't do anything stupid, you can come in and have a, have a lot of fun with us. All right. Thanks a lot for, for being on, Alan. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, you can go, you can send us an email at thegreatminute at gmail.com. Uh, you can visit greatescapeminute.com. Our Twitter handle is greatescapemxm. And you can come to our Facebook group, The Cooler. So until Monday, tally-ho. Tally-ho. Tally-ho.